0: If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything that you need all in one place. Let me tell you about it. Anchor has all the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. When hosting on Anchor, it can distribute your podcast to all the listening platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. It's everything that you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, it is totally free. So go download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Today's podcast is pretty cool. This is a dual live stream that I did with Mr. Benjamin Nowak over on his YouTube channel and his podcast, The Bass and Bourbon Podcast. And this is a episode that we did with Brendan from Do It. Molds and Brennan is a cool dude he is leading up product development over at do it molds and we talked about everything we talked about fishing the future of do it molds the future of bait making the future of fishing in general just got into all kinds of awesome discussion about tips and techniques and making your own baits and just all that kind of stuff and do it is doing so many cool things and you know I've got back into bait making and bait making is really really fun and if it's something you guys haven't explored I would definitely highly recommend going and exploring Exploring it, I'll make sure and link Do It down below in the show notes so you guys can go check out some of their stuff. But listen to this podcast if you're thinking about getting into bait making because we break down some of the new stuff that Do It's got coming out, kind of the benefits of bait making. It's just a really awesome episode. And as always, guys, I want to thank you for taking time out to listen to this podcast. I really do appreciate it. I know that you guys are listening to these podcasts when you're at work, on the way to work, working out. I know you guys have busy lives just like I do, and so I do appreciate you guys taking time out. And speaking of busy lives, for you guys that keep up with the YouTube channel, and get over there to check out some of the videos, which you should definitely do that if you're listening to this podcast, you will have seen that I'm taking a little bit of a break off of YouTube. That break is starting to wind down. We're starting to get down into the time when I'm actually going to start uploading again. So by the time you hear this podcast, we'll probably only be a couple of weeks out from videos hitting the channel again, but taking just a little bit of time off. So that's the reason for the lack of Alex Rudd fishing live content and Alex Rudd fishing you know, podcasts that I'm doing and not doing with other people on their channel. So all that normal stuff will be back very, very soon. A couple more weeks, we'll be right back in the swing of things. I've been reaching out to guests, setting some stuff up. I've got some really cool, cool stuff coming up. But I really do appreciate you guys. Enjoy this podcast. And now let me tell you about the sponsors of this here podcast. As always, this podcast is brought to you guys by the good people over at Monster Bass. For you guys that don't know what Monster Bass is, it's a subscription-based company. And once a month, we're going to send a bag full of lures straight to your front door. Now, what's really cool about Monster bass is that we're hand picking the baits for the region of the country that you live in as well as the time of year that you are fishing so what that means is you're going to get the tools for when and where you need them now another thing that's really cool about monster bass is that we are trying to help you guys to broaden and deepen your tackle box so if you're a new angler a angler that's learning or even a seasoned angler we are going to give you the chance to tell us all the information about yourself that you need to know including the platform that you're fishing from what skill level that you're at the region of the country that you live in and all those different factors are going to be loaded into a system that's going to help to pick the right box for you now this year we're also doing something really really cool we're doing technique specific boxes and now these technique specific boxes are going to be focused around a certain technique but then there's also going to be baits put into that box that help to support that specific technique and help to make an all-encompassing tackle box for the month that you're fishing in or the time of year that you're fishing in march is when we're going to start this and march is going to be really awesome because it is going to be a hand-picked curated box for where you're living in the country and it's going to help you to go out and conquer that early spring bass fishing time that many of us find ourselves in that time of year so if that sounds like something that's going to bring some value to your life make sure go down in the show notes i will have a link to the monster bass website. You can use the code BEARD, like what is on my face, B-E-A-R-D, and it'll get you 25% off your entire purchase. This podcast is brought to you guys by the good people over at X2 Power. If you guys have not heard of X2 Power, X2 is making some of the best batteries on the market for every thing that you can think of as far as power sports go from atvs to side-by-sides to starting batteries for your truck and what is most important to me batteries for your boat now what makes x2 better than all the other people out there on the market well they have a longer life 28 times more vibration resistant than a standard battery 30 percent longer life per charge last about three times longer than a standard battery they're built better recharges five times faster than a traditional battery made with 99.99 percent pure lead they're made right here in the good us of a they're guaranteed to be spill proof in nearly any mounting position that you can put them in and they also have a fantastic value to year free replacement warranty depending on the battery that you buy. It's two batteries in one, a cranking and a deep cycle battery combined. And they're available exclusively at over 700 Batteries Plus stores nationwide. So what that means is you can walk into Batteries Plus... Ask them about X2, and there will be somebody there that can help you that is knowledgeable and that is kind of an expert on batteries that's going to help you to get the right battery for the situation that you need it in. So if you want to check out X2, there will be a link down in the show notes. You can go check out all the different batteries that they have on their website, or you can go to your local Batteries Plus and ask one of the representatives there about X2, and they can help you out. (laughs) Wonder if all my bad decisions
1: get accounted in the algorithms. No statistician could dissuade me from my bigger vision. I know my occupation's quite an unlikely place in this world to occupy and talk about upon a daily basis. Our information's predetermined by some biased business. We all in sermon to silicon that push out lovely neighbors. I'm done with paper chasing, think I'm on to bigger banquets. Miss that full circle, new wave, energy on a Tuesday. Turn a blue day to a bright hue, yellow with a smoothie in here. Extra fruit, you can't move. Me. The music is man. It's a con job. <laughs> what is going on everyone? This is Benjamin Nock, and welcome to another episode of Bass and Bourbon. I think this is episode number 4 and tonight we are um, having an actually mixed drink with some Old Forester 100. And Old Forester is a great drink, but I mixed it with some Burners to make it a little bit more northern and uh, yeah, that's what we're drinking tonight. But what is going on? We are joined with Brennan Chapman from Do It Molds and Mr beard Alex Rudd. So Brennan, kind of give us a quick rundown on, on your position with Do It and kind of you as a tackle head because like as people can see you have a ton of tackle behind you too.
2: Yeah so um I'm the product manager at do it and one of the uh roles my favorite role um that it entails is like new product development so um one of my you know w- one of the key things that I have to do for my position is just be able to keep an eye on trends and really monitor what's going on within the industry, which isn't really a job. That's more like a hobby to me Um, because yeah, I have a lot of tackle and I I love collecting it. I love looking at it. I love tinkering with it. I like fishing it. Um, So yeah, that's one of the things that I do is really keep an eye on uh, some trends within the industry and kind of know what to start development on and maybe work ahead on. Um, and, And then Um, I don't know, select seven to 10 new products, um, primarily molds that we need to jump on and, and start working on.
1: And that's one of the cool things, like especially over the past handful of years, I would say probably like four or five years, you've seen Do It go from just a company that makes fairly traditional molds, like ball head stuff and like a walleye jig head to actually like custom specialized like bass tackle. And I don't know if you want to kind of talk through the process of that, but like you've seen do it really evolve as more of just as more than just like a generic, you know, homemade lead stuff to like really specialized product.
2: Yeah. I think you could, you could look back at our product line um, overall and, and honestly kind of see a timeline of fishing and our progress as anglers and innovators, um, grow over time. So like you could, you could look at a timeline and look at like, okay, there's a ball head with a 90 degree hook. And then a couple of years later, like we start working towards what we consider like our modern jig. Um, you know, there's an arky head, there's a sparky head, there's a flipping jig, a brush jig, you know, kind of all in there, um, as that evolves. And then now we're seeing a trend, you know, really more towards downsizing stuff, more towards finesse. Um, which is probably this last five years has been really particular, um, really particularly oriented at that finesse market and, and maybe a hint of Japanese in there too.
1: Like that's what I think is so crazy too, is because as you start to look at kind of what's coming to market, you see like new techniques, which utilize like old baits and old products, but like new ways to fish them or new ways to use them and sort of a reversion back to the finesse market, right? Like you said, but, that's one thing that Alex just got into too is like net rig fishing, which net rig fishing really isn't anything nuts, right? It's basically a worm nosed jig mold with, you know, a, a small piece of soft plastic on the back that we just started kind of modifying to be a little bit more finesse. So, like, do it came out with the, the weedless mold, but like, mm-hmm. where is that market for you guys? You've had to blow up with that stuff, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, the finesse market in general um, has been, I, I feel like we've done a, a really nice job in that market. Um we've kicked out a lot of like nice northern tier smallmouth walleye oriented stuff, but there's a huge overlap between that and the largemouth or spotted bass, smallmouth whatever uh finesse markets. So there's a nice overlap there. I feel like we've covered that pretty well. Um over the years and and we're going to continue to do so with more finesse products, but then also not forgetting about, you know, the power fishing stuff, some of the bigger um bigger techniques that are still out there because while there is still a ton of forward movement that we're going to see in finesse and and i think you're going to see like i mentioned some jdm japanese oriented looking stuff um the power fishing stuff's never going to go away there's always going to be people that prefer to fish larger baits whenever they can and and slow it down (laughs) and and offer a a big presence in the water with a you know finesse cadence i guess you could say so
1: Alex and I were joking today. Who was it, Alex? You, you sent me a text like who's fishing the drop shot with seventeen pound tests?
0: Oh yeah, Jared Littner. And I he was like, he was he was flipping a drop shot on 17 pound tests with a three-odd two X flipping hook. And yeah. I I texted Ben, and I was like, I can get behind that <laughs> kind of drop shot right there. Like that's that's my kind of drop shot. Yeah, dude. But not seriously, what? I mean that right there for me, like like that. I feel like that's where, okay, so I took the Ned rig and I turned it into something like that is more, I fish a Ned rig very hard. Like a lot of people drag it and, oh, you know, whatever. Not me, man. I'm like, I'll take it, thing and I'll like crack it off the bottom and I'm, you know, fishing in current, I'm fishing 316-ounce heads, you know, really bright, vibrant colors. Well, I think like the drop shot thing could be this, something similar for me. Like seeing him flip a drop shot on 17-pound test with a 3.8-ounce drop shot weight I kind of, like, sparks in my b- brain, I was like, oh, my God, I could crush some fish. <laughs> like, I know specific, like, places where I bet I could take that and go crush some fish. So, your boy's probably going to be rigging him up a, I don't know what you would call it, power shot, power shotting? I don't know. I'm going to rig it up and probably go crush some with it, but yes. <laughs> what did you grab, Brennan? I think I know oh, what you grabbed. Bro.
2: Well, we're just, like, talking about power shotting or, or offering a, a drop shot in a unconventional drop shot situation. Like you were mentioning Jared Lintner. Um, yeah, that's something that I think a lot of people have kept quiet here these last couple years. Um, and I, I think you're going to start to see that, you know, kind of surge in popularity and become more mainstream too. And that's offering a drop shot presentation in somewhere that you probably shouldn't put a drop shot, but you know, you rig it on something like that. Like that's a pretty stout, but sharp little one-aught EWG. You rig a drop mm-hmm. shot, worm, whatever, little swim bait, but somewhere where they're not using it, they would go nuts for it.
0: Yeah, yeah, dude. Yeah, dude. I think- well, I mean, a lot of the fish I deal with in a lot of situations, like these assholes, they're assholes, is what they are. They're <laughs> little green swimming assholes. Um, it's like they want something in their face and you have to suspend it in their face to get them to eat it. Like if it touches the bottom, they're done. If it's on top, they don't commit to it. They want it right smack in their face. And so that's what I'm thinking is just like a short, exactly what Lintner was throwing, which was probably like a eight inch leader. And they had that big worm on there and just flipping that thing. Man, I can think of so many situations where that thing would probably get absolutely cracked. And then I can still hit them hard. Like I like to hit them with 17 pound tests and, get them into the boat, but I'm definitely going to start experimenting with stuff like that. It's just, I, it interests me. Everything like that stuff, anything to look different, man, that's the thing. And you know, these poor fish around here, they get abused. And so they see the same 12 things over and over and over and over again. And so like this past year, Max scent played huge for me because of, that scent technology. I know that was a huge player. And then, like, the Ned rig played huge for me because I was going and fishing a Ned rig in situations where nobody else was fishing a Ned rig and catching them. And so, I don't know. I'm, and then, do anything would do it, like those Ned rigs I made. That bright purple, stupid color. It's stupid looking. But, dude, I'm telling you, that's the kind of stuff around here you got to have to get bites. So. Uh,
1: like, they came out with the Tokyo rig, and I know Do It came out with, like, a Tokyo mold for the Latin did you guys see that sell a lot? Like the Tokyo rig, I think was here. And then like, maybe it's still happening and we just don't know about it, but like, I've, I've never had a ton of success with it.
2: Yeah. I think the Tokyo rig, um, I think there's always going to be people that are going to remain partial to it because they got on a wicked hot bite a couple, you know, a couple times and like, they love it now and will always use it. And that's fine. I, I totally yeah. get it. I think the Tokyo rig, um maybe there's too many other techniques that are easier to fish that are so damn close to the same presentation that it kind of counters the need for it yeah. uh, that's just my opinion but i i would agree that it was kind of here and gone you heard a lot about it and then it kind of fizzled up pretty quick
1: what about like an a-rig like what's the evolution of an a-rig because you guys had right at one time a mold for it
2: yep Yep. And we still do. Um, I do know the wire forms that you need uh, to put inside the mold to pour your A-Rig successfully um, is out of stock. They've had a hard time keeping that one in stock lately. Um, I could see a ton of innovation around an A-Rig. I think um, finding a way to hide the hardware and components over time is going to be big. Um, I think finding ways uh, to maybe move your swim baits a little differently on your A-Rig um, is going to be big. I think maybe you've already seen it a little bit. Maybe I shouldn't talk about it because people will get pissed, <laughs> but uh, like a scrounger style head on an A-Rig. A oh, bunch of little scroungers.
0: That's sneaky. Mm-hmm. I knew so, a guy who was making them. He made a chatterbait headed uh, Alabama rig. And that was the most interesting thing. He just put a chatterbait blade on the front of the Alabama rig and like made him just for a little while and then he just like disappeared. I don't know where the guy went, but I remember a bunch of people around here bought him and they caught fish and then it was just like he just went away and nobody ever made him again. But man, that thing, I mean, like you start reeling them. it. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> they got they knew I mean, too much. <laughs> yeah. What was crazy though is like it was like it would vibrate. And, like, the whole thing would shiver. Like, it's not just, you would think, oh, just the blade would get going, but, like, it would get going and you would reel it and the whole rig would just, like, vibrate through the water. It was so weird. But, yeah, it was something different. I think you're right, though. I think the development of A-Rigs moving forward is going to be playing with materials and stuff like that, you know, and, and, and really figuring out just a different way to make it. But all at the same time, I just don't know how long it lasts. You know what I mean? Like, You'll see a peak, and then just like everything else, it'll be like whoop, whoop and then just crash back off again. I it's well, I like, think it's I think it's just trends. It's just like trends in anything else. Trends in baits are just like trends on the internet. They come and they go. They come as absolutely. fast as they go. And yeah. it the biggest mean thing they- with that
1: is that yeah. Bass and FLW and all these other programs will use it at the highest tier. right? So we'll ever get the amount of promotion maybe that – other techniques would get and until someone wins on a punch shot. Like someone will end up winning on a punch shot and like that thing will just go through the roof more so than Absolutely. it did. But until that happens, I just don't like, it, it's just going to be another technique that guys are using the same thing with the Nico rig. I mean, the yeah. Nico rig blew up when Brett height almost won with it a, uh, what Kentucky Lake or something. So
2: look at, uh, look at like a seven to 10 inch ribbon tail worm. It, it never stopped working. Nobody talks mm-hmm. about it anymore. It's not cool. Yeah. It's not trendy. It's not sexy anymore. Same thing with a spinnerbait. Now everybody mm-hmm. wants to mm-hmm. talk and, and read and see about the the chatterbait. And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. the chatterbait's taken its place while, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people still know that uh, a 7- to 10-inch worm and a spinnerbait are two of some of the most productive baits ever that will ever exist, period. But it's not own, trendy.
1: Do you make your own spinnerbaits?
2: Um. I do. Sometimes I will say that's, that's one category that I typically go straight retail. Um, yeah. I, I, honestly, this last couple of years, I've really, uh, started to use that, um, covert series. Yum. Jason Christie yeah. spinnerbait. Dude, I, I forgot. I forgot. Him up on that. that. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's my new go-to. I still, I still fish like old Stanley spinnerbaits. Um, mm-hmm. I've got some Hildebrand stuff, but, um, no, I, I gotta tell you that. That new covert series spinnerbait really filled my need to make any, um, but I, I do sometimes like to go down to like the smallest size wire, um, mm-hmm. and then upsize my blades. Like there are some situations where I'll just throw one together real quick because it's not that hard. Um, it's really not. But it's
1: so sneaky too. There's so much you can do with the spinnerbait. Like guys in Cal- uh, California make like Z wire blades or Z wire uh, arms on it, and like there's so many sneaky things you can do with it. It's a bait that I just don't have a lot of confidence in. It's just not something I throw a lot.
2: Yeah, no. And there, there's a lot to dissect there with a spinner bait. I think, Um, you know, Jason Christie's the guy to talk to for that. Definitely not me, but, (laughs) but but no, I mean, just, just understanding blade combinations and creating drag and vibration in the water with, you know, changing your blades. Like once you can kind of unlock some of that stuff and I, by no means have it unlocked fully, but um Just kind of understanding some of that stuff. Um, what's fascinating
0: for, to me <clears throat> is how regional certain things are. Like when I went to Oklahoma, dude, like spinnerbait mecca of the world. Like everybody throws a spinnerbait. Like every lake that me and Edwin went to threw a spinnerbait. Jimmy threw a spinnerbait. Well, I mean, Jimmy, you know, Jimmy throws a spinnerbait all the time. But but <laughs> oh, like dude, so it was great. just – but it was like so wild because like I would – I just asked Edwin, I was like, what's the deal – with the spinnerbait. Like, why? Do, like, but that's the way East Tennessee is with crankbaits, flat sides, square bills. Like, I'm a cranker. That's what we do in East Tennessee. It's so weird to see such regional baits, but like a spinnerbait is one of those. And dude, you're right about a spinnerbait as far as like the versatility of it. And like, I knew an old guy once that he would throw a spinnerbait. He did the same. It didn't matter how they were eating it or what he was doing. He would throw it in there, he'd let it sink all the way to the bottom. And he'd drag it like two or three times like a jig and then start reeling it. And dude, I can't tell you how many times that old boy, and my dad does that too. He'll flip into somewhere and let it fall and pick it up off the bottom and drag it like a jig. And how many times that dad's gone, there's one, and caught a spinnerbait fish like that. You know what I mean? Like on a, on a, we, dad's a nickels guy. Like he always threw nickels. You know, that was what I always, yeah, there you go. Pulsator, yeah. dude. Pulsator is the deal. And I mean, like, man, it's, it's crazy. Like, Spinner baits, it's hilarious, dude. Spinner baits are, it's like a jig. There's so many, and they're also similar, but there's certain ones that are special. And I don't know what makes them special, but there's something special about them.
1: Yeah, dude. And, and like, the difference between long-arm and short-arm spinner baits, like, different gauge wires. Like, as much as I love a pulsator, like, it's actually hard to get that bait to flex because the wire is pretty stiff right it's a pretty stiff yeah. wire on the pulsator but yes. it's so good like you can fish it so fast without that thing burning out and it doesn't want to turn on you but yep. when they bite it like they they bite it and they get it it's just hard to get the bait to do a lot more than just speak. yeah
2: it's uh it's a crazy versatile tool i mean it, I'll, I'll take a half ounce three eighths or half ounce up to three quarters sometimes throw it in six inches of water and burn it back and i'll use that same spinner bait in 15 20 foot of water slow rolling it over brush piles and then, you know, you go to like an ounce, ounce and a half, and mm-hmm. I use it on mainstream, you know, island heads and islands on the Mississippi River flipping and current, you know, go up to mm-hmm. a lay down and flip an ounce and a half spinnerbait in there. It yeah. uh, it has more drawing power than a jig, and it's, you know, the same presence in the water.
0: Yep. It's so cool. yep. Y'all ever burn a spinnerbait? Like oh, boil yeah. it and burn it? Oh, my God. That's something. I've not done it in a while. But, like, you can go to some of these highland reservoirs when it starts to warm up. And, like, go – these these giant boulders, right? Like, you know, all these hot – like, Norris and Cherokee Douglas, especially Cherokee has these ginormous boulders. And those smallmouth will just, like, get down in those cracks. And you can take a spinnerbait and throw it up there. And I mean just reel it. It's hard as you – and it'd be, like, skipping out of the water and, like, barely be in the water, dude. And those smallmouth will come out of those rocks and just annihilate that thing, dude. It's so much Do you fun. think
1: it'll still happen, though? Like, do you think that bite will still happen with as much pressure as there is?
0: dude you know that's something uh, we go back and forth all the time about it i think cherokee is a special instance of pressure because cherokee is not that big of a lake i mean it's big but it fishes very small and so i think bots like that they come and go you know what i mean it's like if you can get out there on a wednesday when you know a wednesday in the middle of the week then yeah probably you can get them to do it but like to go out there on a saturday when they're having a 150 boat you know team trail or like when the FLW comes or whatever they're calling themselves now. And like, cause they've got, they got a MLF FLW event or whatever it's called. They've got like yeah. two college events. They've got a high school event. They've got an open. I mean, like, and that's just like, it's 150 boats, 200 boats, 200. And that's just, I think dude, the pressure gets to them because <clears throat> we've talked about it four years ago, five years ago, you go up there with a pulsator, a white pulsator didn't matter what – I mean, just as long as it was a white anything, really. But like a white pulsar, you catch 22, 23 pounds of smallmouth like it's no problem. Now you go up there the same time of year and put that pulsar in your hand, you might get four bites all day long. And so I think it's just – it's pressure. I mean, it definitely is the pressure. But I think they'll still do it. I think that it's just going to have to be one of those things you go out there, like I say, on a Wednesday, like in the middle of the week when there's nobody there and the fish are acting right.
1: It's interesting, too, that we talked about crankbaits, right, Alex? You brought crankbaits up. Brennan yeah. pulled off some crankbaits when he was up here with me that were like flat-side deep divers, pace with yeah. like black labels. And yeah. there's such, yeah, that one. That one, <laughs> that one right there. But, um,
0: yeah.
1: like, it there's makes so many black labels. Uh, black
0: label. Black label. Black, oh, that's, uh, what's his name? Crankbaits. Yeah, it? Uh, yeah. yeah.
1: But, like, yep. there's so many nuances to crankbaits out there. And, like, you're seeing this huge push to balsa or huge push to, like, new materials and crankbaits. And Shimano just came out with that whole line of Macbeth, which I don't technically, mm-hmm. like, understand it, right? Like, they have a big crankbait, a little bit, like, every crankbait under the same name. But it's just interesting that everyone is pushing towards, you know, different materials and crankbaits.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's some dude. Crankbait culture. Crankbait culture, man. You want to talk about something around here like... That's where all of that was bred from. Balsa Bossa crankbaits and making your own of crankbaits came out of East Tennessee and in, in Southeast, you know, America. And like, dude, it's Southeast America. That sounded really weird. Southeast United States. <laughs> um, Southeast America would be like somewhere below Brazil. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, but no, like, yeah, no, it's crankbait cultures. And the thing is, it's like, not only is it materials, but it's paint jobs too. I think that's one thing. Like a lot of people. Dude, there's been so many custom colors and ideas for paint jobs that have come out of this region of the country that are now on Tackle Warehouse and Bass Pro Shop shelves. And but nobody realizes like that's where that color came from. You know what I mean? Like a like a root beer, like a splatterback root beer. Dude, I can remember that being popular like with dudes around here and guys making custom baits long before anybody made one and sold one. You know what I mean? But yeah. yeah, I think materials are going to be interesting to see. I think uh, I've seen dudes making crankbaits out of like foam, like hard foam and in different kinds of foams and different kinds of plastics and resins. I've seen one do 3D printing them. Like, I don't know. It's going to be very interesting to see where crankbaits go as far as like customization. But what's crazy is how far we've gone in one direction just to come back to the OG slim and the Fritz side and all of these bossa baits making a resurgence. And it's kind of like what we were talking about a few minutes ago, Brandon is like, you've seen everybody go to the, the chatter bait. I can promise you the spinner, bait's going to make a resurgence. And it is, yeah. especially yeah. around here. You're, you know, everybody goes away from just a good old fashioned ribbon tail worm to every other creature bait under the sun. Well, you're going to see that resurgence coming back to just throwing a Like I love to just flip a power bait worm, like a 10 yeah. inch power bait worm, flip it instead of flipping a creature bait, you want to get your arm broke. It's something you do. Cause it, again, I don't think a whole generation of fish or two generations of fish have seen it. So now you're going to show them something quote unquote brand new and, and they eat it. You know what I mean? So it's interesting.
1: I think custom painting too is so big. Like you've seen so many custom colors come out and I want to talk about custom painters out there. But before we get into that, it's like, look at Bill Lewis, right? You, you have a color called Rayburn red. That was basically derived from a custom painter because they originally had this red shad color, right? Bill Lewis, mm-hmm. the Rattle Trap, was in a red shad color, yeah. different than their current Rayburn red, but the Rayburn mm-hmm. red was derived from that red shad, right? Because a guy said, okay, everyone on Rayburn is throwing this red shad, mm-hmm. paint me the gold stripes on the side of it and started smashing them." but like you look at the influence that custom painters have had throughout basically the entire time of bass fishing. And it's just been really interesting. And, and like, I know do it just came out with a new bait blast. Um, kind of talk through that process, right? Because that's something brand new for you guys, like a category that you guys had not been in. Um, so talk mm-hmm. through that because that's a huge, huge market right now.
2: Yeah, it is. Um, and it's growing and we recognize that. So we jumped on it. Um it it was developed by um, really through Component Systems, one of our sister companies. Um, I I've led the development process through all the paints. So I mean, it was literally a matter of me getting on Instagram, um, connecting with some like renowned painters all across America, finding guys that were willing to test out some paints and and you know weigh in and and offer their feedback on what they liked, what they didn't like, what we needed to change. Um, it was about a year long process, and we developed about. Thirty colors i want to tell you and we've actually got six more in development right now that you'll see at icast um uh, this summer so that's
1: yeah because no, that's was huge really cool. right now right like there's so many custom painters whether it's aaron diddy who like doesn't get the recognition he deserves like insanely phenomenal and it's mm-hmm. obviously debo does it but there's so many guys out there that custom paint zach messer who did alex's green paint colors like mm-hmm. But there's this huge underground market, and I want to say underground because there's a lot of guys that people don't know that do this.
0: Mm-hmm. It's cool. Yeah. It's almost like it's almost like old like skater culture, like I yeah. you know like like you know like these dudes making custom boards and doing stuff you know customizing skateboards and like that whole culture just like the undergrounds like motocross. I always akin bass fishing, especially YouTube bass fishing, to like freestyle motocross. Like, I feel like there's so many similarities there. It's just a bunch of dudes who are out there filming themselves, doing what they love. And, like, for years and years and years, everybody thought it was just, like, a big joke until everybody started to take notice of these dudes doing crazy tricks out in the desert. And then, like, the X Games comes along and was like, listen, I think we should do freestyle motocross in the X Games. And then all the sponsors started throwing. You know, it's the same thing that's happening to us now, which is crazy. But, like, dude, that underground, the underground of painters is crazy, Because you can get so sneaky so quick. And like all of my crankbaits, all they are, honestly, every single color except for two, well, really one, but I will say two, are old custom colors that my dad used to get painted on crankbaits. And nobody makes them. Nobody paints them. And so I thought, well, we'll let's bring them back. Like we'll bring back creamsicle. Like creamsicle is an old color. Dad's got four or five of them left and, they, you know, they would be put on Mimic flat sides is where you put them on. Mimics and then uh, Little PDs. They were a few in a Little PD too. And it's just that methylate base with that, like, croppy white pattern and purple back. And, like, that's why I brought it back. It's because it works. It catches them. It's just nobody makes that. You know, nobody even makes anything close to that.
2: Yeah, it's, so it's cool really too. cool to see. Go ahead, then.
1: Sorry, like, you almost have to know who they are like Mm -hmm. you don't just you're not just like randomly send your bait out like you have to kind of know the person and like be able to trust their work and find them to know who to send it to it's really is underground Mm
2: -hmm. yeah and i think you're seeing that underground culture all the way across custom bait making has really started to surface um you know we talked about the og slim like five years Mm -hmm. ago, it wouldn't have been cool for Rappola to brand that as Ott's Garage. You know what I mean? Like in my opinion. Um, but that's cool now, you know, it's cool to to have a connection back to like the, the roots, really the grassroots of where all tackle comes from, which is seriously people's garages and basements. Like if you think about that, um, every bait ever started at, somebody's house like in their basement or garage you know and, and a lot of them truthfully like to this day um you know tackle companies um those owners the, the people that started that that first line of product from their company started with a do it mold or or you know at least had the custom tackle mentality but more than likely had a do it mold
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we've had this conversation, you and I, but there's not really anyone else out there doing lead stuff, right? Like you guys are the the guys for lead product.
2: Yeah, yeah, we do, we have minimal. Honestly, we have minimal competition um across the entire assortment. But yeah, lead. How lead big for has that sure.
1: got? How big has the entire tackle making market gotten for you guys over the past two years?
2: Say that one more time. You cut out. I'm sorry.
1: How big has that whole like tackle making market gotten for you guys over the past two years?
2: Um, it's exploded. Um, demand is definitely <laughs> at new heights that that we cannot meet right now. So we're working um, diligently and and smart to to meet demand here, um, and, and that's going to start happening soon. Um, and then from there, it's going to be you know pedal to the metal, foot on the gas, just growing, growing the custom tackle market.
1: Well, like soft baits too, you guys kind of explored it and took into like a totally new level for you guys, right? Because before you guys had a hand, I mean, probably more than a handful, right? Probably like 30 soft bait molds. You guys have expanded so much into like very, very, very like really cool specific bass bait molds. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, so. absolutely. Um, we, we try to really cover our bases with every category and try to come up with something, you know, either similar or very close to what's already out there. Um, and then some originality to it too, as well, but we try to cover our bases with every category. So we've got numerous options for drop shot baits. Cause we recognize like, you know, creature baits, drop shots, these are huge categories. Like there's not just, you're not just going to make one drop shot mold and think, okay, here's a drop shot mold. Everybody in the world should be happy to make that one drop shot. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we, we have to cover our bases. We have to have, you know, numerous variations and models in each category, um, and it takes time to build that portfolio. Um, we're, we're cranking out about 10 new products a year right now. Um, which is, I don't that's know, a quite a lot, I think. Yeah. I mean, when, when you're making molds, um, that's a lot, it's, it's a lot of work. It's a, it's a year long process. Um, we try to stay like year, year and a half, sometimes two years ahead on, on our new product cycle. Um, so yeah, it's just about, identifying current trends, getting ahead of stuff, and then, of course, circling back, seeing what you're missing, keeping your you know eyes forward, seeing what your competition's doing, what seems to be growing, and, and jumping on it, and staying ahead when you can.
0: So, like, when you all are developing a mold, and you don't have to get into any of the nitty gritties because i don't want it to like you know divulge any secrets or anything but like what's it look like i mean mean, you you can though
1: if you want to divulge secrets you can
0: yeah you can if you want to divulge secrets that's fine (laughs) i just don't want you to get fired okay um but like uh like when you when you're developing a mold is it like okay i have this idea we put it on paper we put it in cad we make a uh you know a uh, hell up my brain i just had a total brain fart a prototype and then the you know, and then it just goes from there and there and there. And you just refine, refine, refine. Or what's that look like?
2: Yeah. So full disclosure, I'm not I'm not nearly talented or smart enough to do like the actual programming, um, or or even making the model. So I I literally will sit down here and just start drawing. Um, mm-hmm. The process usually starts right after ICAST. So like I've already got you know in in a file somewhere like three or four products identified that I needed to do, you know, last year or this year, Mm -hmm. but then I go to ICAST and I try to save half of my other, you know, potential models for um, ideas or, or, you know, maybe borrowing or using some elements from other baits at ICAST that I can implement on what I've already got. So Mm -hmm. um, from there, it's, it's just sketching lots and lots of drawing. I mean, when I hand over my drawings um, to the, to the guy that does the actual, layout of the model
0: Mm -hmm. um
2: it's down to the millimeter so i mean these are very very specific drawings i then give it to him Mm -hmm. you know he kicks it back to me and i've got a 3d model that i can drag around and get a really good feel for what it's actually going to look like Mm -hmm. um from there we're cutting prototypes and then going back and and shooting them um and and then from there you get your baits typically one at a time Mm -hmm. and then you go fishing and
0: mm-hmm. try to
2: get it in two, three, sometimes four renditions. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, the fewer the better. But sometimes stuff takes time, and I don't ever let the you know goal of two renditions getting in the way of you know not offering a, a, a perfect bait.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's just interesting to me, uh, and the reason it's so interesting to me is because my dad his uh, his profession is he's he is a uh, custom what is it? custom tool engineer for seco tools. So they make CNC cutting tools. He okay. does all the custom, like custom stuff, like, you know, for specific things. But now I was watching a, it was a video of the do it factory. And I was like watching you guys, you were CNC and something. And it was just fascinating to me because like, like the future of like all these different, you know, manufacturing tops is all in CNC and then 3d printing. You know what I mean? And so it's like, it just fascinates me to see like, where do we go next? You know, like, what's the process of making this new bait? You know, and how, you know, and I think like 3D printing is going to be like the next evolution of bait making, because it takes this like thing that used to be like what you say, four or five renditions of something that can end up costing quite a bit of money to something. And, you know, you're needing an immense amount of, you know, you need a CNC machine and you need a programmer and you need a, a someone to model it all out. I mean, that's not easy things to do. And it takes like these 3D printers, man. There's guys and kids that can build damn near anything they want to in their garage with it, you know. And like that's like the soul of Do It is like to build anything in your garage that you want. And I think it's yeah. going to be so cool to see going into the future, like, as 3D printers and things get more and more advanced and stuff like that, you know, that, I mean, I don't know what it looks like, but hell, you know, 20 years from now, Do It could be selling 3D three D print like designs online. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's just crazy to think about, but it's That's going to be scary. cool to see. It is scary, dude. I mean, it's, it's super scary, but it's just like NFTs right now. Okay, you know, everybody's all about the NFTs. All it is is just digital art well i mean like that's. i mean it's like a 3d printer like i watched somebody it was a a, uh, a teacher that used to work with me she had a 3d printer and she would just like download things off the internet and just like 3d print them just because it was fun <laughs> to do and I was, yeah. I was watching it one day and i was like i could definitely 3d print a crankbait i could probably 3d print a badass crankbait you know what i mean i do know it's, it's interesting to think about like that's one of those things you know ben me and you've talked about it before like what's the future of bass fishing And I truly believe that is a next step in bass fishing is like being able to take an idea, put it on a computer, 3D print it, and just totally bypass the entire manufacturing process to make the thing that you want to make. You know what I mean? It's really cool.
2: Yeah. um, It's funny you brought up 3D printing and, and, you know, making your own stuff with that. That's something I've, I've honestly thought about just tinkering with here at home. Mm -hmm. I'm making, you know, glide baits, things like that would be super cool. I'm in no Mm -hmm. hurry. I don't, I don't give a shit if it takes five years to make the perfect one, just to, (laughs) just to make my own and, and going back to, you know, resurgence of, of custom tackle and the culture, I guess. But you look at some of these swim bait and glide bait companies that do like limited run drops, they'll make 250 and they're sold out in 20 seconds. Like,
0: yeah,
2: I don't know, man, there's something to that. Those guys can perfect the stuff from their garages and basements, make a run of 20, or you know, 200 know what they're going to make. They don't have to worry about supply chain issues. They don't have to worry about, you know, the manufacturing process. They just drop them and, and they f- sell out immediately.
1: But yeah. some of that too is tackle collection culture, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's so many guys now that just buy. Yeah. Like Brennan. No, there's some, some guys <laughs> it's that just like buy tackle yeah. to collect it. And, and, whether it's because they like the bait or whether they like the designer or whoever it might be. Right. Like people just want cool package products, cool products, you know, that they can collect. And I just think that's part of it.
2: Yeah. There's a different appreciation for, you know, small batch custom tackle. Like, you know, I got a wall of crankbaits here and like my balsas mean the most to me, you know, just from a, a collector standpoint, they all get used. I'm not really, I wouldn't consider myself a collector, but um, yeah, it would kill me to see my ballsis go. You know, when I lose one, it you know,
1: yeah. because you know because you know someone put time into making that bait, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like how you feel about make when you make a jig, right? And now, obviously, it's a different level, but like specifically custom making a jig with paint color and you hand tie it, and like that jig means more to you than the four ninety nine or ten ninety nine jig you bought up at the store.
2: Yeah, and, and I, I think another element that probably doesn't get talked about near enough, and you know, at least to me, it's probably the most important one. Um, aside from the money savings and stuff like that. I mean, you can absolutely blow it out of the water and you know, make this crazy expensive and you know, each jig could cost five bucks, I guess, if you wanted to make it that way.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, or if you weren't very resourceful. But um gosh, I I would think for me, just the ability to be that much more in tune with my gear, my tackle wow. and the confidence that like when I'm fishing, it doesn't matter if I'm fun fishing or fishing a tournament or a Tuesday night tournament after work. Like if that's something I made myself like a jig that I made myself, I hand tied the skirt. I selected the hook. I painted it like I did everything to it. Um, I just have that much more confidence in, in what I'm doing with it. Um, and knowing that when I do get an opportunity, like I'm at full potential to take advantage of it
0: and i think that's so huge because like every bait it doesn't matter if it's a jig or if it's a glide bait every bait has a learning curve like right out of the package like you got to learn all the nuances of a bait like right now i'm experimenting with all the berkeley jigs and i'm learning all their nuances what do they do how do they glide through the water what's this look like what's this do and like a lot of people think a jig's a jig's a jig and it is to an extent, but then it isn't all at the same time. Like there's jigs that have certain head designs that drop faster. There's jigs that like, you could have 40 flipping jigs and I could literally line three up right now. that are all labeled as just a flipping jig, but they are drastically different jigs. All of them. And they all drastically do different things. And I think like when you start making your own things and you can make your own refinements and you can really start to dial, like you said, dude, I mean like when you set the hook, if the line doesn't fail or the rod doesn't fail you have made sure that every aspect of that fish catch is and every variable that you can control is under your control and you now have an immense amount of confidence in what that is you know you i tell people all the time the reason i'm good at fishing a crankbait is because i know what every crankbait that i pick up does i know what it's doing under the water what it should be doing what it should feel like what it shouldn't feel like what happens I mean, dude, I've spent thousands of hours with a crankbait in my hand, so I know what it needs to do. And I tell people all the time, like, you want to... That's gaining confidence in anything. That's when you gain full confidence in a bait is when you know exactly what it's supposed to do. And I think making your own stuff, man, that's just... It's just... It's like, here's knowing that, and then here's just that next level of constantly... And it's just control. It's like a a variable that you can control.
1: Well, like, Brennan might cringe when I say this, but making your own baits isn't something that's great when you're a brand new fisherman, right? Like making and and getting a dual mold isn't the best thing to do when you're like brand new, unless you just want to go out and fish stock, whatever. But like my sparky head is not necessarily meant to, well, it's definitely not meant to have a bait keeper on it. Like it's not a great bait to have a jig skirt tied on. Like there's things that I do to it or I have modified and it takes a special hook because that jig is perfect for exactly what I want it to do. But, like, when I got that mold, when I was, like, relatively new to fishing, I would take the recommended hook, which I think is, like, a 2-aught or 3-aught hook, which is tiny, and put it in a half-ounce jig because it's not meant to be a bass jig. But the head was right and everything was right. But knowing what I know now about jig fishing... I can make that thing almost perfect. And Brennan does the same thing with the swim jig. Like Brennan and I have gone back and forth about the hook that he's using on the swim jig and about, you know, the the way that his swim jig is set up and the skirt he ties on it. Like there's so many special things you can do to make a bait, like perfect for you or yeah, for your situation.
2: Absolutely. Like, you know, just touching on swim jigs here real quick. Like I have swim jigs for long casts covering water, just, fan casting you know whether it's a grass flat or uh, a sand point whatever it might be um, I've got a specific hook that I'll put in my swim jigs for that for making bomber casts and just covering water when I switch to making short pitches and heavy cover I I want a a heavier hook so I mean I, I can select my hook for different situations and then of course like matching forages and and getting really specific with your colors is a whole nother thing but just the the versatility that you have in selecting your own hooks and how that can play. um, That's huge. I mean, there's, there's a lot of situations where like you, you go to the store and or you're ordering online and and you don't know what hook necessarily is in there. Um, And a lot of times, a lot of people will select a hook that's just way too heavy. And they, you know, it's a football jig with a two X hook and they bomb it out there. They get a bite at the end of their cast and they're just dropping fish after fish. And they have no idea like, dude, your hooks like, you know, one size too large, at least in terms of wire mm-hmm. diameter. And you're never going to get a hook in that fish. Um, it's, it's like
0: important. all those, it's like all those jigs that Ben had that I've been all the hooks out on flipping because they were sucky hooks that couldn't, <laughs> stand I don't even know. That. But like, for real, like, no, like when I flip, but they don't do flip,
1: flip they, like you and I flip different. You were fishing it on, I'm which you never really used. And for me, like, I don't set the hook like a monster. Like, I just set the hook to set the hook into a bass. <laughs> and Alex yeah. sets a hook I into it, like, to break them. I'm, I Cross try to murder eyes. them.
0: Yeah, oh, absolutely. Like, I the want dramatic. them to ne- – Yeah, exactly. Like, I want them to regret every life decision up to yeah. that point is what I want them to do. But, no, I mean, like, I know when I flip a jig, it has to have a certain kind of hook in that jig. All right? When I flip a creature bait, I have to have a certain kind of hook – just because of my fishing style. Like I fish, when I hit them, I hit them hard. I fish hard. I'm, you know, I mean, even when I don't hit them hard, I'm still six, four and weigh 230 pounds. I mean, like, dude, yeah. I'm just going to naturally crack them a little bit harder than everybody right. else does. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, I think jig, jigs, talking about jigs, jigs, like, and especially like dragging a jig. I think that's very interesting. I think so many people overlook the importance of a jig hook. And there's so many companies out there that just, like, throw generic XYZ hook into the jig. You know what I mean? Like, there's no thought process behind, like, oh, this might be good because this part, like you said, is going to bomb this on a cast and drag it around. And, like, I remember, and this was me just being a guy who doesn't throw a Carolina rig. I was throwing, like, a, it was like a, I don't know, it was a 4 EWG, you know, like, just your standard, like, Gra- like 2x hook you know what i mean like what i would yeah, normally flip like a flipping flip
1: like flippin hook yeah.
0: flipping hook and so i kept missing so many fish and when i switched up to just a it was a ewg hook it was just a lot wire hook i started putting fish into the boat and it's like that learning process of oh this makes sense because this is more like a hypodermic needle so when i'm way out there it doesn't take as much pressure to just that thing right in there whereas when i'm fishing with six foot of line out and I crack their ass as hard as I possibly can. I am forcing that big hook so far up in their head that it's not going to come out. I think so many people, and that's like that swim jig you made me, Ben. Dude, that thing is deadly. And it's because of that little hook, man. Like you can be reeling that thing along and one come up behind it and overtake it. And it doesn't take a whole lot of force to just pop that hook right in there, which I think is so, so huge.
1: Yeah, man, there, it's just so interesting how in-depth you can get to like understand every little component and i think yeah. that's going to be the biggest learning curve like when i get a bunch of berkeley jigs and i'm going to start to learn them it's going to be like mm-hmm. learning them because mm-hmm. i know there's got to be a difference between their flipping jig hook and mm-hmm. their casting jig hook and their mm-hmm. skipping hook like mm-hmm. there are differences and you can't just unfortunately you can't just grab a random jig and trust that it's going to do exactly what you need because there's going to be a jig that I like versus, you know, you or or someone else.
2: Yeah. So for example, like this is a jig that I tie. Um, This is like a example of a short pitching uh, swim jig, you know, close combat jig that I'm going to throw in heavy cover. It's got a super, super strong owner hook in there. It could pull a truck out of a ditch probably. (laughs) And then this is another one that I tie for, you know, covering, grass flats, yes. things like that, yeah. really long cast with, you know, 12 to 17 pound floral, Where this, a lot of times is going to be thrown on 30 pound braid, totally yeah. different hook. And to a yeah. lot of people, um, you know, a lot of people I think can make the, the distinction and know, you know, which is which, but um, making your own tackle, you just have that much deeper understanding for what what's at play and how yeah. to adjust. Um, and then, you know, obviously having the ability to control that is, is huge.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like the head on your little, your short, shorter pitching like swim jig. That's a, that I like that water kind of the bottom on there. Yeah. That dude, that's huge. And uh, the one, there's a, like I love that because I know for me, I like to fish a lighter swim jig and I like it to glide. Like I'll fish it almost like foot, fl- throw it up on the bank, you know, in inches of water And just drag it off like you would drag your standard like flipping jig because it comes up and it like levels and glides and levels and glides. And then I can start reeling it and I get a lot, a lot of bites that way. And so it's that's interesting. That's a really cool jig.
2: Yeah, here's the Brandon. He's
0: he's gonna look, he's pulling everything out here on us. That's what I'm I'm talking about.
2: That's a quarter ounce head, that's a four point eight inch swim bait, but that's a quarter ounce head. It's that same light wire O'Shaughnessy hook I was telling you about. So, I mean, I can bomb this up in six inches of water with that giant swim bait that's you know carrying a lot of drag. It keeps it up in the water column. I can control it anywhere that I want. It's got a super good hook. Um, I can bomb that thing out there and get a hook in it every time. That's important.
0: That's awesome. So you're a swim Uh, jig man, huh? I'm going to have to come fishing with you. I'm a jig guy. I'm going to have to come fishing with you and learn the swim jig a little bit better. I've been learning it how – I've been learning it in my own weird way, you know what I mean, which is very – Alex Ruddy, and I'm sure it doesn't apply everywhere, but it's what I do. But I, I, I it's like something I've just never had a ton of confidence in. It's like swimming a jig. It's like because it's not doing anything, like it's not vibrating or pulling back. Like it's like, well, it's not in my mind. I know it is, but in my mind, I'm like, well, this damn thing ain't doing nothing. Like I ain't catching no fish on this. You know what I mean? But yeah. it's like I know if you can get it through your head, like, hey, this thing is doing what it needs to do. You can go crack them on it. And I, I'm cute. looking for it this year. I'm looking forward to this year. There's a few lakes around here that apparently the swim jig bot in the spring is silly. And so I'm very looking forward to like going there and just locking it in my hand for a day and going, okay, let me go see what happens. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. So my, my home water, we were talking about it before I jumped on here. Um, home water for me was the Mississippi river. So that's kind of where I, I learned the swim jig. You kind of have to at the Mississippi river. It's, it's, I believe where the swim jig actually originated from, like no joke mm. is the Mississippi, river. um, mm-hmm. the upper Mississippi pools here by me, uh, such a powerful tool. Um, you can cover so much water. It's such an effective way to fish around cover. Um, but mm-hmm. like you said, there's a learning curve there and you just have to like build like anything. You got to build confidence before you're good at it. But the swim jig, like you're th- throwing something out there and just floating it to the boat. And like, if you're not getting bites, can make you feel pretty stupid quick and and make you want to set it down. So I totally get it. Yeah. uh, Well, it was
0: me. It's why I almost had to turn it into a flipping bait for myself. It was like I would flip it in there and then I would like treat it like a flipping jig until that last two thirds of the cast. And then I would reel it and do like so many times, flip it in there, you know, pulse, pulse, and then start to reel it. And as soon as I started to reel it, they crack it. And it's like, that's how I taught myself to fish a swim jig which i know is totally probably counterintuitive to how it should be fished but it was like that's what gave me enough confidence in it to like actually lock it in my hand and, and go do it but it is pretty fascinating like there's a few lakes around here very pressured lakes you know not super giant fish in them but you can go catch some fish it's like i've gone and skipped a swim jig around docks and is there something about just that passive do nothing. It's just like you said, floating. It's literally just floating and hanging in their face and they will come freaking unglued on it because everybody else is throwing a chatterbait or flipping or doing something that's just much more intrusive than, you know, three three eighths, ounce swim jig is.
2: Yeah. And it's like a jerk bait in the sense that you got to know where those fish are positioned in the column. I mean, if you're throwing it underneath of them and and the bait's coming up underneath of them, it's not going to do the same thing as if it were, you know, just above their head, but yeah. um, Yeah. It's, it's a dual, maybe triple purpose bait and not to give away, you know, a new product. You'll have to wait till I cast, but um, we are doing something right now that's going to probably cater kind of what you were talking about. And that's, you know, treating it as a flipping bait. So mm-hmm. maybe it you flip it out there and it comes through cover really well. Um, mm-hmm. When it hits bottom, it does kind of position up a little bit like an Arky mm-hmm. or a Sparky, mm-hmm. but then it comes through cover so you can wind it back in just as good and fish it yeah. back to the boat through cover. So kind of a dual yeah. purpose swim jig. So keep yeah. an eye out for that.
0: I will. I'll, I'll, I'm very interested. You got, you've piqued my interest. I'll have to come <sighs> okay, visit yeah. your booth at ICAST.
2: <laughs> yeah, come on in. Come, come on, on in. in.
1: Are you going to the Classic?
2: No, no, I'm not. I wish I was. Uh, next year, I, I, I'm definitely going, though. Never been.
0: So. Hey, come on. You'll be in Knoxville. You can come on. I know, dude. Stay yeah. at the house. We'll, we'll, we're going to party, dude. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Sign me up. So what's next? Time.
1: Like, what, what techniques are next for you guys, especially this year? Like, Are there certain techniques you have in mind that you want to try or learn or you think might make a resurgence? Like, What's coming up for, for everyone, both of you?
2: Uh, Just in terms of like personal stuff that I want to work on as an angler.
1: Yeah, that and then we'll kind of dive into bait wise, right? Like where we see the market or industry.
2: Yeah, I always try to select like just me personally. I always try to pick like two or three things that maybe aren't new to me, but two to three things that I know I could I could work on um, and, and, you know, dive deeper into and dissect and get better at. Um, One of them we talked about earlier, and that's a spinner bait. Um, I think I'm starting to unlock stuff, starting to, you know, tear stuff apart and get better at it every year. But there's a couple things that, uh, I'm going to try differently with it this year and a couple new scenarios. And then another one that we're, you know, freshly off the subject of, and that's a swim jig in deep, deep water. I'm talking like, you know, Mm. 10 to 20 foot, let's say 15 to 20 foot, um, Mm. really deep open water stuff. You're seeing a lot of stuff out of Texas right now. If you pay any attention to some of the stuff that's going on down there swim jigs and 15 pound bass and like 15 foot of water. Um, mm-hmm. Not that I have 15 pound bass here in Iowa, but we're, we're going to apply that same, you know, same Do you concept. Think,
1: does he take the, the weed guard out of it or does he leave it in? Or like what, what does that look like? Is it just a swim jig?
2: I don't know. I, I don't know that it, it really gets talked about in detail yet. I haven't, I, I mean, I keep a really close eye on it. Uh, Josh Jones is the person that yeah. I'm talking about. Um, I had the opportunity to go out to eat with Josh Jones's, uh, crappie tournament partner that, you know, they've won all this money on fishing the crappie master circuit, taking everybody's money with scope Um, so I got to pick his brain a little bit at ICAST when we were out to eat about some things, but, uh, the dude's just lighting it up. And, and a lot of the success is on A rigs. Um, a lot of the success is on a swim jig and, and all season something.
1: Too. Man, like, no one does, right? Like, no one's taking a swim jig, or really really many jigs at all, for that matter, and targeting those live scope fish. Because that's mm-hmm. a lot of what it is. Like, hate to say that, but it's a lot of live scope fish. And they see all these things. They see a rig. They see a jerk bait. They see the little swim bait. And that's why I think the spinhead is yep. going to be a bigger player on a rig, or on, yep. a, on a live scope fish. But, like, the swim jig, no one does.
0: You know, I was fascinated about um... – Live scope today, it was uh Keith Pochet was in like six foot of water, live scoping a bush that he couldn't see under the water and was catching fish out of it on live scope in like six foot of water. And like everybody, you know, like they I forgot who said something about it, but it was like, you know, everybody's talking about targeting suspended fish and fish that are offshore. And here's Keith Pochet right up on the bank doing something that he knows how to do, which is flip a bush but he's using live scope because he would he flipped in there and he watched one follow his bait out. And so he flipped back in there and like started really working through that slow and started getting the bites. And that was like when live scope for me just became so much more immensely interesting than it was before, because I was like, Oh, I wonder how many times I've drug a creature hog away from a bass under a dock that if I had live scope and watched him swim out, I could pitch back in there and catch him. I was like, huh, that's interesting. Some That's uh, Go ahead, Ben. No, no, no,
1: take it, take it.
2: Oh, I, I was just going to say my last bait, I guess, that that I'm interested in working on this year, and this one's totally foreign to me, and it plays right into what you were just saying with forward-facing sonar. Um, I got active target this year, so just, like, the fundamentals are there, I think, um, but really honing in on those details with specific baits and specific situations mm-hmm. is something I'm going to really focus on this year. So mm-hmm. spinner bait, swim jig with forward-facing sonar is something I'm going to really – focus in on and then lastly would be a giant hair jig like five eighths, one ounce head
1: yeah uh
2: nine to 12 inch feathers coming off like i'm gonna i'm gonna build up some badass hair jigs and feed them to some bass or try that'd be
1: that'd be sweet like with forward-facing sonar you saw that kind of come out a couple of years ago when they've doing the ledge stuff but you've not heard anyone really talk about it with the forward-facing sonar
2: I heard some stuff from Milliken, and I won't say anything more about this, but I heard some stuff from Milliken, <laughs> words from his mouth about it, that intrigued me. So that's all I'll say. But
0: I think what's so offer. interesting about that is that, like, it is created, forward-facing sonar has created a bunch of Caleb Bales. And, Brandon, I don't think you know Caleb, but he's a good buddy of me and Ben's, and he lives down on Chickamauga. Okay. And what it's done is, he, dude, let me tell you something about him. You think of the stupidest thing that you can rig up and he will rig it up and go fishing with it and catch them like a one ounce hair jig in six and a half foot of water reeling it as fast as he can over a grass flat. And he's like, he'll call you like, Oh, I caught 30, you know, 32 pounds. You know, my biggest one was a nine pounder. And I was like, what were you doing? He was like, I was reeling a one ounce swim jig over a grass flat as fast as I could reel it. Well, it's like that. The same thing has happened with forward facing sonar because it was like first it was like, Okay, first we target all these fish and they'll eat a jerk bait. Like all of them will eat a jerk bait. Okay, they quit eating the jerk bait. Well, then it was an Alabama rig. Okay, they quit eating Alabama. Next is the swim jig. Okay, they quit eating the swim jig. And next it's gonna be like, okay, now we're like you say a hair jig or whatever it is. Like it just you start experimenting and the experimentation just goes completely wacky, but. Damn, if you're catching nine pounders, nothing's too wacky. You know what I mean? Innovation, though. You're getting
1: getting guys that start to become experts in it or like really, really good. And it's not as easy as like having it on your boat and just go do it. And I think that's the biggest misconception, right? Because if I put my live scope on Alex's boat, it would take him a while, or maybe Mm -hmm. he would never become an expert in it because it doesn't fit his style of fishing. But, like, it takes – guys are becoming very, very, very good. Look at Patrick Walters. Look at Milliken, Josh Jones. I think I'm pretty decent with it. Like, there are guys that are very, very good with forward-facing sonar. But I think it's actually making it – it's opening up the bank for the the guys like Alex and guys that are really good in shallow water.
0: Well, what I'll do is I'll take it and do what – just like I did with a swim jig. I'll do my own thing. It'll probably be wrong – in the mainstream of how you're supposed to do it. I think that's the biggest thing for me is like, I am so counter to what everybody else is doing. Like if they're out there and I don't want to be in 25 foot of water with an a rig throwing at fish that are suspended in 15 foot over a brush ball. That bores the absolute shit out of me. Like, (laughs) yeah, that's cool. I can go catch fish, whatever. I hate that crap. I want to be up in a river somewhere in current trying to catch them. But the thing is, is if I can take that active target or the live scope or any of the variations of it, and I can figure out how to target river fish that are suspended over grass and, you know, do something like that in the current and go target the fish that I want to target, well, then it becomes something very, very cool to me and then becomes a tool that I want to use. And I think that's the biggest thing for me with a lot of techniques. And, it's in, and that's what makes bass fishing so anecdotal. Everybody, it's a sum of your experiences. That's all fishing is. And so for me, like, that's what, like, would make it cool for me And so that's what I need for it to be cool for me. It's not cool right now because I only see it as the guy who's out there in 25 foot, like what Ben does. Like, dude, it's fun. That day we went to that lake and chased those fish. I had a ton of fun because we were catching (laughs) fish. But, like, would I ever go do that on my own? Absolutely not. I'm going to go skip docks and and crack their heads in every single time. But then when I watched Keith Pochet scan that brush pile today using that perspective mode, and he watched that fish swim out, and I heard him say, Oh, there comes that fish again, and he stopped that shaky head and just barely pulled it, It goes donk. I was like, Oh, that crap's cool right there. Like I can get down on that. You know, that's something completely different.
1: Yeah. So what about you, Alex? Like what what do you see as being like new or exciting in your world? Other baits you want to learn or pick up or things like what's trendy for you?
0: Um That's a good question. Um I definitely jig. I, I, I got on a jig bite at the end of the year last year and started really realizing the power of a jig. And I think so many people have quit throwing jigs or don't flip jigs and don't really execute on a jig other than to drag it like a football head jig around here. And so, like, I want to really experiment with a power bait jig, you know, that power bait skirted jig. And, and that's another thing, scent like, technology, period. Last year opened my eyes to scent technology and how good that crap actually is. You know what I mean? And so I really want to dive more into learning all the nuances of when it's applicable, how to use it, you know, what situations there and all that kind of stuff. And then, man, other than that, just really kind of breaking out of the mold, like breaking out of my own routine, because I get very routine. Like I get very, and it's because I don't have a ton of time. And when I don't have a ton of time, which going into this next year, it's looking like I'm going to have a lot more time. You know, I'll actually have time to go experiment and explore new bodies of water and not just go back to my routine of the same thing over and over and over again. Because like I've gone and figured out two or three rivers around me, and I can guarantee you that I can go there and get at least three or four or five bites and have a, a subpar decent day if not having an excellent day when it all comes together. But what I want to do is I want to press myself and I want to drive to like I found like four or five lakes. I've got them all marked on my on my map, you know, they're like two hours away, same distance away as Chickamauga is from me. But they're tiny little mountain lakes in another state. I want to drive there. I want to put my boat in and I want to go just figure that out. So that's really what I want to do. I want to take what I already know, but I want to go to other places and figure the fish out there more than anything. But other than baits, man, I don't, I mean, I get so, I'm so daggone gone utilitarian, man, you know me like there's like five or six things I like to throw. And that's what I throw. And I experiment more with baits within the categories that I like than experimenting with different categories of baits, but the drop shot thing, the power shot, flipping a drop shot on seventeen pound test. I'm gonna do that. That that interests me. I think I can crack their ass <laughs> on that. So I want to go try that.
1: Heck yeah!
0: I think this new
1: like bait fish shaped lure thing is is gonna be a big deal this year and, and like in the next coming years. Because obviously you have the Berkeley Gilly, you have the what was it, the Javelin, Gilmaster. I don't yep. know. Man. Like yep. these these bait fish, the depths um, bull slider. Bull, bull slide. Yeah. You have the bait fish shaped lures that, you know, work on the free rig or even have independent natural swimming motions. But, like, I'm kind of curious to see what happens in the next couple of years. Like, what shapes are going to be coming next? Or, or, or kind of what is the progression of bait shapes? Exactly. That. that um, Yes. Those baits. Like, Oof. is that the progression of shapes, do you think? Or where are what's in Japan that's coming over what do you see
2: um and is this a question for me
1: kind of in general like, okay like-
2: I think in general Japan is always three four five years ahead of us um, maybe not ahead of us like they're they're smarter than us whatever I think they're naturally in their environment they have to find ways to get bites like find ways faster than us because they have more pressure over there in a lot of cases. Yeah. Um, I think it takes three, four, or five years, a lot of times for those ideas to kind of hit ground here, a company or two to to put a bait out there and to see a, a surge in sales and then other companies, you know, pile on. I just think mm-hmm. that cycle takes like about four or five years. Um mm-hmm. I think one of them is like you mentioned these bait fish profile, just everything, you know, creature baits, um, you know, even the G-crack bellows gill, which there's people that are pissed that I just said that. (laughs) Um,
1: But that's, that's a really, really good bait, like has supernatural movement because you you can
2: swim it. Um, You can treat it like a jig. You can stroke it off the bottom. You can drag it. Um, It's incredible. Um, I've had a lot of success on it here just in Iowa. Yeah. yeah, So just things like that. Um, And then I also think finesse, I mean, Japan is constantly cranking out like smaller and smaller and smaller baits and it's cooler and cooler and cooler to buy them and have them. Um, maybe not to me, but to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't think, you know, finesse is never going to go away period. There's always going to be a a time and place for it. Um, I think they're going to find ways and they already are, um, to offer a finesse profile and offer a finesse presence in the water with some action, not just like a TRD or stick bait or something, a do-nothing bait, but a bait that actually does something, but is small.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: have you seen the OSP, um, I think it's a OSP Mylar minnow, maybe? It, it's a tiny, like three, they have them bigger, but it's like a tiny three-inch minnow shape, but it has a hollow section, and so when you rig it on a Hover Shot or a um, oh, man, whatever, like, essentially a very, very lightweight and jig head, it will cause it to have a natural rolling action.
2: Does it have a segment in between with some mesh? Yes. Is that a jackal bounty minnow or something like that?
1: Maybe that's we're talking like the, about... Yeah, well, that's a jackal uh, bounty fish, but this is, like, a really small profile bait, okay. and it just has a hollow section, and it causes the bait to roll. Jackal okay. has, like, the... Um, revolt fry i think it is but essentially like there's this group of finesse finesse baitfish style plastics that are meant for really light or basically weightless style presentations to fish super shallow or Hmm. you can put it on a medium sized jig head like up to a quarter ounce is like the biggest you want to go and it will cause it to roll and you essentially like what i do with the live scope just barely turn the handle so it hovers through the middle of the water column perfectly vertical or perfectly horizontal but Hmm. i'm really intrigued by like this whole fascination of super finesse like very lightweight presentations
2: yeah absolutely just like the other day on instagram i was scrolling through and some dude posted like a picture of a chatterbait like this big and i looked Mm -hmm. into it i don't i don't remember the name of the company or anything but i mean like they're actually making them and it, it's something yep. I would use for like perch or bluegill around here. But they're oh, dude, large, large I got still.
0: some, I got some jackal brake blades out in the beard barn that are th- like, I got one that's three sixteenths of an ounce, and I've got another one that's, so I f- want to say one sixteenth of an ounce, and they're just tiny, like two odd hooks, and you're they're made to be fished on spinning rods, and it's fascinating, like it's a Japanese deal, you know, it's that finesse. It's it's like you say, it's a finesse presentation, but it's got that action, you know, and mm-hmm. it's just a completely different action. And I've played around with some of them small ones on a spinning rod, dude. And I mean, they are just, it's super fast, super erratic, something completely different. And I think you can show those fish something. And I'll tell you, Ben, to go back to something that I do want to try this year is that Agent E. I want to lock that thing in my yeah. hand and figure that bait out. The dark sleeper never appealed to me. The reason the dark sleeper never appealed to me was because I watched you lose a couple giants on it. And like, I knew of people losing giants on it and I just never, I thought I'm not going to even yep. deal with well, it.
1: I just never really understood how to fish it. Right. So I'm taking that bait and I'm fishing it on a, on a medium spinning rod. Cause I think I fish it like a tube. Right. Because mm-hmm. it has a really small hook and small hook gap.
2: It's stout yeah. though.
1: It's a very stout hook, mm-hmm. right? And so I never really understood how to fish it. And so I wasn't getting good hook set on these fish. And I was just mad, right? But like, yeah. there's, there's a, op- there's like an opportunity there where I think that's a new category of bait, but Edwin said it, Edwin said it best. He's like, that is a new category of bait that yes. Did they have the dark sleeper? Yes. Do we have the agent? E? Yes. But there's a new category of baits that's going to come around that where you have like an internal weighted jig head. That's going to have a similar action. That's going to be a new well, category. And,
0: yep. and just the fact that that small of a package is half of an ounce, and I can take that thing and flip it and treat it like a jig and show those fish a jig presentation with a profile that they may have never seen before. I feel like that is a thing where I can literally go crack fish for a long time because everybody else is flipping a creature bait or a jig or whatever. And I can take an agent E and flip it up there and treat it exactly the same way, show them the same exact presentation, but it's a different profile. And dude is like, as big as these fish are around me on being bluegill eaters in the river and being shad eaters in the lake, like dude, shad spawn, that may be the thing that you pick up when the shad stop spawning and all of them get a little bit deeper. I like guess the thing is like we crack them in the morning and, but then once you know the sun gets up, like what do we do? We're sitting there, we're like got our thumbs up our butts because we we can't figure out the bite after that. You take a little A G E and flip it out there and treat it just like a jig, dude. You may be able to crack. It. I don't know. Like that's just a that's just a situation that I'm kicking around in my head with that bait that I find very interesting. And when Edwin told me, Edwin was like, "Fish it like a jig," and I was like, "Oh, I thought it was a swim bait." He's <laughs> yeah. like, "No, no, 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 no." He's like, "Fish it like a jig," and I was like, "Oh, well, that makes." A lot of sense like i get it now like
2: i fish a i fish a dark sleeper a lot it's a bait that i've i've been playing with for like the last three years um but within like the last year and a half two years i've got a lot of confidence in it fishing it like you said in jig scenarios so like you know for example like some of these lakes around here that i fish like tuesday night little tournaments in after work like might have 40 boats on a on a tiny lake so we just play musical chairs on brush piles on man-made brush piles around the lake so i i go behind everybody with a dark sleeper three eighths to half ounce and crawl it through wood piles that uh you know a jig a a seven inch power bait worm uh a texas rig sweet beaver have already been drugged through and then (laughs) here comes me with the dark sleeper and pop pop you know i'm I'm catching them behind people it's a great bait and it it is a new technique i really think so
0: uh, it's fascinating sure that, too yeah. I, I just love the i love the size to weight ratio because i think way too many i i have fell victim to this just throwing too big of a bait my fish specifically love small profile baits they are i don't know if it's just because they're so pressured or or if it's just that's the opportunity that they find the best or what it is but like i used to be the dude to like used to and it, and it was because it worked we would throw a full-size brush hog like in that was like what you flipped because that's what they ate was well, years and pressures gone by now. Like we're going in there with, you know, like tiny little baits, like, you know, even like the creature hog, like I'll cut down a creature hog sometimes just to give it a little bit shorter profile, you know, fishing a, a three odd straight shank hook instead of a four out just something so I can fish smaller. And that, that agent E and the dark sleeper, I guess too, cause I, I never really played with it as much. Like, you're talking about a two and a half inch bait. That's half of an ounce. Like it's little, like it's that long. And like, which on, on here that you can't tell how long that is. It's longer than my peener. But uh, anyway, um, no, but uh, like just that small size dude, like that in that, in that half ounce packet, I don't know that, Man, I just see that freaking thing. Like, I'm a, I'm probably going to crack some heads with it. And it's also got a big old hook in it, which that means I can just slam their ass and I don't have to worry about something falling apart on me. But, yeah, dude, I'm excited, man. I'm super excited.
2: I think you will see a, a category kind of evolve around those two baits in specific. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to start to see more of those for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. What rod really are you fishing that on? That's something I'm trying to kind of figure out right now.
2: Um, I'll fish it on a medium heavy, uh, casting rod sometimes, just like I would a jig. I have a, I have a medium heavy, uh, spinner spinning rod that I use for like heavier tubes and stuff too. I'll drag it with that. Um, but because it is a stouter hook and a lot of times I am making, you know, maybe not super long, but like a moderate cast in some cases, um, I, I will fish it all the way up to like 17 pound fluoro. Gotcha. Um, It's definitely a stout enough hook that you you don't want to be fishing too light a line. Especially yeah, that was my thing. I'm
1: fishing it on like a, a spinning rod, like a seven foot, maybe medium, medium light spinning rod. I just,
2: like, yeah, tough I to get it. So, I him. got
1: so mad, yeah, because I didn't know there was nothing out there that told me how to fish that thing. Right, like you have to really lock it in your hand and learn it. So, yeah, and yeah, it's
2: fun. a stout, it's a stout little hook. It's a great hook, but you definitely got to have the right line ready to go for it.
1: So, hmm. kind of wind this thing down. Like, what do you, what are the next couple of months looking for you, Looking like for you, Brennan, and kind of like where is Do it going to be in the next couple of months? Right, like you guys have some product releases at ICAST. Um, so, what's kind of your plans?
2: Uh, well, so there's two products that you should keep your eye out for. Um, released the first day of the classic. So we have one mold coming out that will be released first day of the classic, and then some new powder paints. Um so yeah those, that's pretty exciting and then after that it's just iCast so um from here we've got most of our products yet we got to wrap up uh several of them are really close like final stages um doing some testing things like that just finalizing design stuff like that that we're going to start production um photography on the water you know the fun stuff the really fun stuff like you get to build the stuff which is cool but now you get to go catch fish with the stuff which is even cooler and take pictures and videos. so that's coming here. Um, as soon as this damn ice is off the lakes, we'll be starting that, <laughs> and then after that, we get to release the stuff, which is a great time as well at iCast.
1: And how is like what are sales looking like for you guys right now? What is inventory looking like? And kind of where do you
2: Uh, I mean, honestly, inventory is a little bleak, but I guess that's a good problem to have right now. Um, we're working hard and fast to get caught up, but uh, we're making some some shifts that are going to you know start to take place here pretty soon um this spring this summer that's going to allow us to uh meet demand and 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 then some um so it's going to be a couple exciting years that do it the process but i think it's going to be a couple exciting years here um and i think you're going to see a, a new do it really i do
1: that's exciting. a cooler do it yeah
2: a cooler do it. That's right.
1: <laughs> are you guys moving towards more bass stuff? I mean, you guys have a lot of bass stuff, but like, what is your product mix looking like?
2: Um, Yeah, a lot of bass. Um, uh, you know, a, a lot of our, I would say like our nitty gritty, like most hardcore customers are tournament bass guys, probably. Um, you know, we have a really unique ba- customer base. I mean, we've got guys that are um making you know one ounce two ounce five ounce bank sinkers for catfishing on you know below the kentucky river dam or something but then we've also got tournament bass guys so like polar opposite customer base in a lot of ways um but for those tournament bass guys like one of the most sought after and, and things you know coolest things that they like to do and build is is jigs um i think you're going to see us you know kind of circle back to this like circling back on some older products, some older categories, and revamping some stuff, modernizing it. Um, the Sparky Jig's awesome. The Arky Jig's awesome, but there's some more modern twists um, to those things in specific, and, and I think we're going to uh, circle back on those and maybe make some adjustments. Um, not that there's not a time and place for stuff like that, because there certainly is, but you know we can make a better mousetrap now, so we're going to do it.
1: That's awesome. Well, cool, man. I appreciate you hopping on with me and uh, chatting bass fishing, Alex. Thanks, buddy, I guess. (laughs) No, but thank you all for listening. Uh, Tonight's been a lot of fun. Uh, As always, hit that thumbs up button if you're watching on YouTube. If you're listening over on Spotify or any of the other streaming platforms, uh, yeah, hope you guys enjoy and listen some more and hit subscribe on there, too. But as always, thank you guys for listening, watching. Take care, tight lines. God bless. Pursue your passion. Bye.